Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dismantling You podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Pineda. In this episode, I interviewed Dr. Kate White from a recent Instagram Live during Mental Health Awareness Month to discuss hope and healing after pregnancy loss. Dr. White is the Vice Chair of Academics in the Department of OBGYN at Boston Medical Center and is an Associate Professor at the Boston University School of Medicine. She is active in multiple research studies in various areas of family planning. She frequently lectures locally and nationally on topics related to reproductive health. Dr. White has published two books with Mayo Clinic Press, Your Guide to Miscarriage and Pregnancy Loss, and Your Sexual Health. She is also on the advisory board for Women's Health Magazine. In other news, I am super excited to announce my first book, Finally Effing Fertile, using yoga, meditation, and breath work to conceive is now available on Amazon in Kindle, paperback, and hardcover editions. Now, my idea for the book came with the realization there weren't many resources to support our fertility journey. It offers the best guidance I have based on my own personal experience with IVF along with helping hundreds of women overcome their fertility struggles and achieve successful pregnancies. Whether you're trying to conceive naturally or using fertility treatments, the tools I'm offering here, yoga, meditation, and breath work, can help you in so many ways. Stay tuned now for my conversation with Dr. White. Good afternoon. Hello, friends. Welcome back to my live speaker series. It is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I've got an incredible guest joining me on my live speaker series today, Dr. Kate White, who is the Vice Chair of Academics in the Department of OBGYN at Boston Medical Center, will be here to join me live. And before I begin, I just want to let you know if you haven't heard my new book, Finally Freaking Fertile, is now out on Amazon. Uh, if you haven't been there, head on over to Amazon, get your paperback, get your Kindle hardback copy. I see that Dr. Kate has joined me. I'm going to actually live with me so that we can begin our conversation. And if you have any questions along the way, Hi, Dr. Kate White, how are you? I am great, Lisa, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure, great to see you live in person. I'd love to start out with uh, just giving our audience some context about your background. I'm really happy to have you on the Instagram Live today. You give such a great service for women. Can you tell me a little bit about what drew you to OBGYN? Sure. I always joke that I have professional ADD. I like <laughs> doing different things every day of the week. And OBGYN is a career that lets you do that. I get to take care of pregnant patients one day, patients who are on the border of menopause another day, get to take someone through their first pelvic exam. I also get to teach and I do research. And so I have a very full, very varied kind of life. 
Can you tell us also about some of your educational background and what led you to the Vice Chair of Academics at Boston Medical Center? What a big role that is. Sure. So I've been up and down the East Coast for my education. I'm originally from New Jersey. I wanted to get far from home, but not too far for college. So I went down to Duke University for undergrad and then closer to home to Rutgers Medical School for med school. I then got to experience New England for the first time when I went to Bay State Medical Center for my residency in Western Mass. Then went back closer to home again to, for my fellowship at Columbia University, where I also got my master's of public health. And then I came back to Massachusetts for good, first to Western Mass and now to Boston. The opportunity in Boston was a chance to be at an institution that really respects women's and pregnancy-capable people's reproductive health care. Abortion's been legal and practiced at Boston Medical Center since before Roe v. Wade. We have a department right up through the CEO of the hospital who support all the family planning work that I do. I get to teach medical students, residents, and fellows. Boston is a really great city. It's, you know, it's not New York. I grew up in Jersey. My heart's always in New York. Of course. But it's great being here. And the vice chair of academics was a role they actually created for me to be able to sort of oversee all the research and all the education that happens in our department. Uh, so it's a real honor. Absolutely. That's incredible. What a journey. So what was the catalyst to write your new book? So I have been a nerd for a long time. I've also been a reader for a long time, and I knew that writing books was something I had always aspired to do and didn't know if I'd have a chance to. And the new book came out of actually taking care of patients. So many women come to me and say, I know I should know this, but I'm really embarrassed to ask, but and my response is always, how would you know? You know, sex ed is very variable based on where you live, what state, what township, what kind of parents you had, I was raised Catholic, so you can imagine that sex ed that I got from my parents was, just how we say, less than accurate, less than <laughs> comprehensive, right? right? And unless, you know, your friends were doctors, like, how could you learn this stuff? And people should not have to go to medical school to understand why right. it's normal that our boobs are different sizes, why our labia are different sizes, what normal discharge is, how there's yeah. more to birth control than the pill and the condoms. So all the things that people really are hungry to know especially the things that are coded in stigma and shame, which is like anything below the waist, right? That no one wants to talk about. <laughs> Even the words, right? Like how can you hear the word vulva in conversation? Not very often. Ooh, so yes. I really wanted to, take, to write a book where I could sort of take okay. this head on and say, it is yeah. okay to talk about these things. It is okay to learn about them. Yeah. And then more importantly, to talk to your doctor about them. Yeah. Absolutely. Kudos to you. So let's dive a little bit deeper. In your guide to miscarriage and pregnancy loss, hope and healing when you're no longer expecting, I like the way you divide the book into sections of preparing, experiencing, and healing. Can you talk us through the preparing part? Yeah, some people are surprised that there's that much to say about preparing. They feel like miscarriages always come on like a hurricane, but they actually don't. So I do talk about First, like the background, you know, how common miscarriages are, what causes them, more importantly, what does not cause them. Because people are constantly blaming themselves for a pregnancy loss. I want to debunk a lot of those myths. Then I talk about the fact that you have an opportunity to manage your pregnancy loss, unless your doctors figured it out when you were already in the middle of it. Very frequently, you have options. And so I want to talk people through 
you know, what those options are. And I even talk about why it may take a long time to get the diagnosis. You would think I'm pregnant or I'm not. Like, what is so great about that? But it can take weeks to get a diagnosis of a miscarriage. And so I want to try to help people understand if that was their experience, what was going on. Healing is an important part of the process and is the last section. What is the best way for patients to heal? And can you just talk us through the two ways between healing and grief? Sure. Lisa, I also want to say that like where I talk about healing and grief, this not just comes from the professional, like my you know, 20 years of taking care of people with pregnancy, but I have had two pregnancy losses, one mm. at 29 weeks and one at five weeks. And so I'll be honest that some of what I now talk to other people about is stuff that I learned by going through it and stuff that I used to tell patients that it wasn't until I went through it that I'm like, oh, that wasn't helpful at all. So a lot of this comes from, you know, my personal experience as well. And the first thing to do is just to actually validate the grief. Mm -hmm. because there are people who will try to minimize the grief. It's like, oh, well, it was an early loss. You were barely pregnant. What people don't understand is that once the stick turns positive, yeah. you have all the dreams, right, of the whole yeah. pregnancy, childbirth, what your family's going to look like, that child taking their first steps, first words, graduating from high school. And when you have a miscarriage, you lose all of that in an instant, yeah. no matter how far along you were. There's, you know, there's no Olympics of pain, right? There's no comparing grief early with an early loss to later. So first is just give yourself the space that this was a loss like any other, and it's going to take some time. There's no getting over it yeah. in some random amount of time, right? And the next thing is that it's really important to heal the way you want to, to do your grief the way it feels best for you. There's no excuse me, there's no general advice for how you should grieve a pregnancy loss. Some people want to talk about it a lot with their partner, with their friends, with a therapist. Other people don't want to talk about it. Some people will take some, they'll try to like step away from obligations or even like from work or take a leave or go part-time as they're processing. Other people dive straight into work, to activities. People try to train for a marathon because that is how they're sort of working through their grief. And it may be trying to remember the pregnancy you lost, you know, building remembrance rituals into your life. There's a tree behind me in our backyard that um, we plant in every house we have been in. We plant a tree for our daughter, Samantha, who we lost. Oh. That really is helpful, especially in the spring when it blossoms. That's so Other people don't want to do anything. Yeah. You know, and that's right too. There's no right way to grieve. And so what, basically whatever your gut is telling you to do, you can follow that. Love it. Love that solid gold right there. <laughs> so what, what is the best way to communicate with your significant other or your partner when you are going through challenging times and grieving? You know, things like a pregnancy loss are like, they test a relationship in fire, right? Again, it can really bring a couple together or it can really drive people apart. I feel like with my husband, it was a combination of both. I, we had our first loss within the first year of our marriage. I was readmitted for complications on our first anniversary. And I think overall, it brought the two of us closer. But there were a lot of times that I felt really alone because he was on a different sort of phase of his journey than where I was. 
And I'm Italian. I like to talk things out a lot. He is not and did not want to talk. And so there were times that we were sort of like very apart. And so I tell my patients who are going through this that it is very likely that you and your partner actually are going to be in different places during part of this journey. And in the same way that I say to you, you need to grieve the way that works for you. So does your partner. Mm. And so part of this is recognizing that you both have to treat each other with a little bit of grace and understanding, but also communication around what you need. Yeah. I had read this, um, this technique from a therapist that if you want to talk and your partner does not want to, what you can do is like set a timer. Yeah. So for like 10 minutes, right, I'm going to sort of pour out everything I'm feeling. And hopefully they're in a place where they can just receive that, hold that space for grief because they don't, won't go on too long because people who don't like to talk, right, are just like afraid you're going to want to talk for hours. So you set about a time where they can really be there for you. You get to sort of connect and then you get to, you know, spend other time as a couple doing something else. So communication and grace is really what it comes down to, I think. Love it. So valuable to hear, especially when it's a difficult time. There's that, that's a great way to do it. Just basically give, hold space for one another. Uh, so can you give us some context about after a loss? When can someone who experienced a loss get pregnant again? Or when should they know that it is okay? So the good news here is that for the most common type of miscarriage, which is in the first trimester of a pregnancy that was inside the uterus, you don't have to wait at all. As soon as you feel comfortable having sex again and want to try to conceive again, that's totally fine. If you had a complicated miscarriage for some way where you landed in the hospital, needed emergency surgery or something, maybe talk with your doctor about the details. But if you had an uncomplicated loss, you are good to go when you want to. So there are a couple of different kinds of pregnancy losses, though, where you might want to wait. Yeah. If you've had a stillbirth, so a mm. loss of a pregnancy sort of late in the second trimester into the third trimester, there's some evidence that if you wait 18 months before you conceive again, there are better pregnancy outcomes. Mm. I got that advice when I had my seven-month loss. My mm. advice was not fit for Instagram to repeat the words I said. I, I did not <laughs> want to wait for 18 months. So, But a conversation with your doctor about the pros and cons of waiting would be a good idea. Then if you had an ectopic pregnancy, so a pregnancy not in your uterus, but in your cervix, in your tube, in a C-section scar, Anytime that the uterus sort of like took a hit with a pregnancy, it probably needs some time to heal. You may want to wait three to 12 months. And finally, if you had an ectopic where you've got medication called methotrexate, methotrexate is a really powerful cancer drug used to treat ectopics, which means that you want it out of your system before mm. you get pregnant again. So most doctors will tell you wait three to six months. Good to know. So switching gears on you, Dr. Kate, I love to ask all my guests what they like to do for self-care. What do you do to de-stress? Because obviously you've got a lot going on and you must do some self-care things to just fill your cup up in order to give back to others. Lisa, I'll tell you, I have traditionally been very bad at self-care and like refilling my own bucket. The last two plus years though, I think it's made everybody sort of stop and take stock and where they are and what they're doing. And so I feel like the pandemic is one of the only silver linings for me besides a book coming out of it was 
a little bit more focus on the fact that this is a, that life is a marathon, not a sprint, and you need to take care of yourself. Otherwise, you won't be there for the finish okay. line. So yeah. we got a pandemic puppy. She yeah. is a pug named Peppa. And wow. so dogs, I think pets are really good for getting you out of your own head yes. because they have needs and yes. they don't care that you've had a stressful day at work or that yeah. you would rather be scrolling through social media. They right. need to go for a walk. They need yeah. to play. So yeah. Peppa has been wonderful. Aww. I also, I've always loved books. And so books are great for me. I also like to do a lot of puzzles. So I've been doing crossword puzzles for years, but I sort of rediscovered my childhood love of jigsaw puzzles. Ooh, probably have like three dozen of them in the house now. Wow. The table is always covered in a puzzle in progress. But Amazing. That's, my, that's my flow. That's love when I it. sit down yes. and put something together. That's, it's not meditation for me. It's actually puzzles. <laughs> hey, whatever keeps you in the moment. Love it. Love it. So Dr. Kate, I'd love for our listeners to get in touch with you, especially if they're in the area and perhaps want to schedule a visit or a consultation and let them know where they can get the book. Sure. So both my books, Your Guide to Pregnancy and Mis so Your Guide to Miscarriage and Pregnancy Loss and the book that launches today, Your Sexual Health, are both available in bookstores and from your online retailers of choice, plus independent bookstores if you want to you know, patronize your local booksellers. I have a website, drkatewhite.com. It's drdrkatewhite.com. I have a contact me page where I've been able to actually get letters from people all around the country. And I really try to respond to everybody's concerns, um, whatever health worries they have. I am also on social, so I'm on Twitter and Instagram at drkatewhite. Perfect, and I'll leave it at that. Dr. Kate, thank you so much for providing us your golden nuggets of wisdom and your willingness to come on here live with me today. Thank you also to our audience. And uh, Dr. Kate, I wish you all the best and continued success. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Lisa. Take good care. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You know, it's these mindset shifts that truly make a difference. If you like this podcast, share it with someone and be sure to leave a review. Till next time, here's to dismantling you.